There's an old story, and you may have heard it, and it's, but, but allow me. There's a, there's a man who's out in his front yard, and he's got this massive pile of logs to chop. And I can remember myself uh, growing up just south of the city. Um, I'd wake up some Saturday mornings, and I could hear the chainsaw going. My dad had bought this house. There was a ton of, uh, ton of trees in the yard, and, and he, like, I knew I hear the chainsaw. I can kind of smell that. I, I know that this is going to be a good Saturday because when that tree falls, I get to go climb in the branches while it's on the ground, and it's just going to be a good day. But I remember you cut up the tree, and then my neighbor actually ended up getting a log splitter, like one of those industrial log splitters because they cut down so many trees together. But Anyway, this man in the story, he doesn't have an industrial log splitter. He has a dull axe, and he's just hacking at these logs, and he's wearing himself out, just hacking at these logs, making very slow progress, eventually, you know, cutting this one, grabbing another one, sweat pouring off of him, not looking like he's having a great day. And eventually his neighbor comes by and sees him and says, hey, why don't you take a quick break and go sharpen your axe? Your axe is really dull. You'll You'll, you know, you'll, you'll be able to, it'll be a lot easier job if you take just a quick minute to go sharpen your axe, to which the, the man replies, what are you kidding me? I don't have time to take a break. Don't you see how much wood I have to chop? Like you can see the foolishness of it from an outsider's perspective. If you take that quick break, if you take that time to reconnect, to, to sharpen yourself, then you're going to get back in the game stronger. And so this, this morning, I, we're in between series technically. So we had the pause series, and then we had a guest preacher last week, and then we have baptism next Sunday. So I had the freedom to preach on whatever I wanted. And so I went to the Lord, and I just sort of asked, you know, where do you want me to go? And, and I kept getting directed. Like, that pause series was really strong. But I don't expect us all to figure it out within just four weeks. I mean, our, our connection groups have been stronger. The conversations have been stronger than they've ever been with people being honest and, and their, their struggles and the way that they're trying to actually take a pause in life to reconnect, to make intention, to spend time with the Lord so that they can be more effective in discipleship, more effective in every aspect of their life. So I figured this morning, I'm going to continue kind of with an, with, almost with an epilogue to the, to the pause series um, and with that in mind, uh, I want to point you guys to a couple of scriptures this morning that I hope are going to encourage you to see that it takes discipline, actually, to pause. It takes discipline to maintain your relationship with the Lord so that you'll be able to bear more fruit and be a more effective disciple for the, for the, for the purpose of the kingdom. So you individually make a, a stronger collective. Because unless we maintain our relationship with, with God, we're, we're not going to be effective. If we're trying to do this thing in our own strength, we're going to continually slide backwards. We're going to continually exhaust ourselves and become downcast and, and be less effective for the kingdom. This, what I really need you to know is all of what I'm about to say does not contradict this effort, does not contradict the fact that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that this is all a gift. But with that said, I want you guys to open up with me to the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. So if you're new to the Bible um, and you have a hard one, uh, a hardback or, or a leather bound or whatever you got, if you kind of open it up right to the middle, you're going to probably be close to Psalms. But if you flip to the right a little bit, you'll eventually find the prophet Jeremiah. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 17 this morning. Jeremiah, 
a prophet uh, in the Old Testament who was known as the weeping prophet because he was sent to warn God's people to return to God and had essentially nobody, maybe his scribe, listen to him, but nobody else listened to him. Um, but Jeremiah, some of the most beautiful poetry in the Bible, and here's one of the things. This is actually, thus says the Lord. So this is God's words to us. So please read along with me. Jeremiah chapter 17, starting in verse 7. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. See, in our natural tendency, in our natural state, we, we have this continual sliding back to try to do things in our own strength, to try to do things in our own power. But God's ways are oftentimes counterintuitive to our ways. And he's saying that the man who is blessed, the man who is, who is blessed by God, the man who is living the good life according to God, is the man who is like that tree who's planted on the banks of the river. His trust is the Lord. He's planted right on the banks of a river. His roots go down through the soil and actually find their source in that living water that is flowing by. It, does, it has no need to fear when drought comes. It has no need to fear when anxiety comes. It has no need to fear when, when heat comes. It's not saying that those things aren't going to come. It's saying that the tree has no need to fear. That man has no need to fear when those things do come. Because it has its source of strength. It has its source of power. That river that's flowing right by. So in the midst of drought, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of the desert, this tree remains green and can bear fruit. This man whose trust is the Lord in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptations, in the midst of hardships, can bear fruit because his trust is is the Lord. It would be unbelievably foolish for this tree to try and dig up its roots and find a better spot. There's no better spot for a tree to be than right on the banks of this river, its roots in the flowing water. That's a pretty good situation for the tree. But, but if its roots are severed, then it's like any other tree. If its roots are severed, then there, it has reason for it has no, no reason for this boldness that it has. It, it has reason for doubt. It has reason to worry. It has reason for anxiety in the midst of, of drought because it no longer is connected to the source of its power. It's like any other tree. It's susceptible to the external environment. It's, it no longer has this reason to fear. That's where Jesus comes in. That's where Jesus comes in. So turn with me now to John chapter 7. John is one of the gospel writers, one of Jesus' closest friends while he walked on earth. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the, the fourth gospel. And we're going to be in John chapter 7, verse 37 is where we're going to start. But for a little bit of context, this is, Jesus has come up to this thing called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. 
And if you've driven around um, actually towards the end of September, you may have noticed these external structures that were sort of temporary looking. They, I saw some of them made out of like drop cloths and, and metal. I've seen some of them made out of actual pieces of nature. But, but these are called Sukkots or I, I'm not sure on the pronunciation, so you just, Sukkot, thank you. Um, but, and it's basically this structure that the Jewish people were told after they got back into the, or got into the promised land out of exile in Egypt, God said, I want you once a year to, to build these structures to remind you that I'm the God who provided for you a way of escape from Egypt, and I'm the God who sustained you throughout the wilderness. And and even now that I'm the God who has brought you into the promised land, this is not the end of the story. Even, you're, even though you're in the promised land, I want you to, A, be reminded of the fact that you lived a temporary lifestyle in the wilderness and that even though you're in the promised land now, this is also a temporary situation leading the way to the Messiah, leading the way to the new heavens and the new earth. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that, um, that, that ceremony in the midst of that festival, Jesus has gone up to the temple and there's this, on the last day of the feast, there's this, this water ceremony where a bunch of the priests would grab a, a giant jug of water and walk down to the pool of Siloam, fill up this big jug of water and carry it all the way back up to the, the temple courts and then everybody, all the, all the Jewish people around waiting for it to happen, bated breath, they'd take this jug of water and they'd empty it out onto the temple courts to, to show again that it is we are dependent upon God for our sustaining. We are dependent upon him. He's the one who brought us out of slavery in Egypt and we are still dependent on him. So right at that moment, that last day of the feast, like probably as the priests are holding up that giant thing of water ready to pour it out, Jesus stands up. And I love this. He's, Jesus is awesome. Read along with me, John chapter 7. Jesus says, starting in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, cried out. Like everybody's bated breath, everybody's waiting, it's quiet. Like everybody's waiting for that so that they could celebrate. And, and right when it, like Jesus yells, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Right in the midst of this ceremony, Jesus stands up and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of of living water. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. There's no way, there's no way to make that metaphor that Jeremiah gave any better. Like you're a tree planted right on the banks of the river. The tree can't have it any better unless you move that river inside the tree somehow. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying he's going to do. He's moving that external source of power that, that God inside anybody who will trust him through the power of the Holy Spirit, that when we trust in Jesus, we are gifted with the Holy Spirit. And he is the source of our power. He is the Like, it, it's not that strange. It's not that strange to see a tree on the bank of a river doing really well, you know, vibrant and, and bearing fruit. 
It would be weird to see a tree in the middle of the desert with no obvious source of water, not like an oasis where there's this weird source, but like no source of water. And yet you have this vibrant green tree just bearing fruit, just apples everywhere in the middle of the desert. Like that's something that would confound people. That's something that would confuse people. But imagine a whole forest of trees in the middle of the desert with no external source of water. That would get people talking. And that is what Jesus is saying that he's going to do for us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Where in the midst of trial, in the midst, no matter what your external circumstances are, that he has gifted you with the Holy Spirit to be your source of joy. Your external circumstances don't, don't, don't have to do with your joy. Your, your joy comes from the Lord. Your joy comes from the Lord. And so Jesus is saying, that one that you're about to symbolize by pouring out the water, saying you're dependent on him, That's me. That's me. Come to me. Receive this gift. It's free. Come and take it. Come and take it. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit now to trust God and to bear fruit in the midst of of whatever circumstances. He's placed that power within us. So you sit here and you say, wow, that's really encouraging. What do I do with that? Because I don't see that right now. That's not really bearing fruit in my life. I don't don't really understand that right now. So we have this this river within us, Jesus says. Rivers of living water flowing from our heart, talking about the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with that? It seems to me that we would have two options. We have this internal river. And allow me, if you will, a, a quick story. I can remember um, when I was in middle school, and I think the statute of limitations is up. So, but when I was in middle school, um, my friends and I all went. There was a, a golf course, and uh, there was this little body of water that um, had. It was a kind of a cool little waterfall feature and stuff like that. And so we kind of snuck down there after the golf course was closed, and we just found a bunch of stuff from the woods, just a bunch of junk, and we just kind of casually started throwing it into the river and see that it was fun. And then eventually we were like, hey, if we keep throwing this stuff in here, we're going to stop the river. And so, and so we did, and we, we, we ended up damming up the river, and it was, it was hilarious until the, uh, the, you know, the authorities came and we ran. And, and anyway, sorry. I, ne- I never did go back and undam the river, but I, I, it's not something I'm proud of. Anyway, um, so it would seem that we have two options now that we have this river of living water flowing from within our hearts. We could, we could damn it. We could, we could neglect it. We could intentionally put things in it in order to decrease the flow, in order to decrease that flow, or we could, we could work to expand it. We could work to expand it. So um, what happens when we neglect things? They just naturally get better, right? No, of course. Of course not. Like, I can remember, so... Um, Wintertime in Boston in a, two, uh, a two-bedroom apartment with a couple of rambunctious kids, um, it, can, it can get loud. And so um, my wife and I, I, I typically take Mondays off, and so a couple years ago before the kids were in school on Mondays, we'd go, we found uh, at the Natick Mall actually, and here's just a pro tip, at the Natick Mall there's like one of those free kids area play places. And so the first time we went there, we were like, this is great. And it was kind of modeled after the city of Boston. It had, like, their version of the swan boats, except they were ducks. 
and there's like a little bridge and a fake green monster with a slide and a ship that I think was supposed to be like old Ironsides and um, the kids could run and play and jump and actually and and it was great it was awesome we get the kids out of the house burn some energy for a couple hours get them back and uh, and and it kept our house from burning to the ground and it also got some of their energy out so it was it was wonderful but I was really surprised at how pristine it was when we first found it in like December but come March um, it was not as pristine, it, to say the least. Like the duck's beaks were pulled off and like it was a mess. It was nasty. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I'm really disappointed about this. But I'm not surprised. Because if we, if we leave things alone without that continuous, constant upkeep, they're not going to get better. They, they will continually get worse. Uh, nobody in the congregation here is like, it got worse over time? Are you kidding me? I've never heard of such a thing. Like, no, that's just how life works, and we're just, it's the water that we swim in, but it's interesting to observe that, no, if we leave things alone, they're not going to just naturally get better. So if we neglect this river, this Holy Spirit flowing within us, then naturally our relationship with the Lord is not just going to just kind of drift towards better. It takes, it takes work. Because even though we have the Holy Spirit in us, we are actually responsible to cooperate with that Holy Spirit, with the, with the Holy Spirit, to maintain this relationship. And that's the big point right there, is that this is a relationship with God. If you had heard that I, I hadn't spoken to my wife in a few months, naturally you'd be like, well, something clearly is off there. And it would be. But in order to, to have any kind of healthy relationship, you need continual checking in. You need continual referencing and, and just upkeep with that relationship. And when we neglect him and try to take things in our own strength, we're going to pollute the river. We're going to be like me throwing junk into the river to, to stop the flow, to, 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 to make it less effective. So some of the things that we can do to pollute the river, some of the things that, that are those things that we just kind of chuck in or allow to be thrown into our river, Anxiety. Anxiety is a huge one, I think, in, in this city, maybe nationally, maybe around the world, I don't know. But certainly in this city, anxiety is a huge pollutant in that river. This, this idea, this, this anxiety that stems from a lack of control of the future. Like, you can't control what's out here. It's also a lack of faith in the character of a God who can control what's out here, who is already out here, who is already working this situation for your good, for his glory. Can you trust him? Your anxiety is showing that you cannot, and I'm speaking to myself right now. But by plugging back into him and being reminded of his promises towards you, his promises towards his church, that no matter what the external circumstance, even if the situation that I'm so concerned about doesn't pan out the way that I hope it does. I know I have a faithful God in whom I can trust. But instead, we, we, have, we decide that we're going to do this in our own strength. So I can't actually control it, but what I can do is think about it a lot until my head catches on fire. And then we become less and less effective for the kingdom. Anxiety just gets thrown into the river. Greed is another one. Greed. This stems from a lack of love for your neighbor. This idea that I'm going to accumulate as much stuff as I can. I'm going to accumulate more than I need, more than I could ever use. 
because A, maybe I'm, I have a, a, a sneaking sense of insecurity that I am going to need this someday, this, this $1.6 billion jackpot that's coming up whenever it does. What are you going to do with $1.6 billion? That's unbelievable. I mean, I could think of a couple things, but, but the sense of greed, the sense of greed, a lack of love, a lack of trust that God will provide for me, that can pollute the river, decrease the flow, lack of love for your neighbor. A big one in the Western church for sure is, is lust, is sensuality, is just this oversexed nature of our society stems from selfishness where rather than viewing another human being as an image bearer of God whom you are to love and sacrifice yourself for the betterment of, you view them as an object for your own pleasure, not even a human, dehumanizing them to a body and not a human with a soul. That will absolutely dam up your river. Jealousy, again, getting thrown into the river, this lack of, of understanding, this lack of thankfulness where you see what other people have and you say, my stuff is whatever. Like, I need that. I need what they have. I, I need to be wired the way that they're wired rather than trusting that God has specifically crafted you and given you and placed you when and where you are for a purpose. This idea of, of if I only had what they have, I'd be all the better. I was talking to somebody who says, uh, you know, <laughs> a, a pastor friend who, who was saying, like, with that $1.6 billion, like the first thing, you know, down where he's from the South, he's like, you know, you have the, the two camps of people who are like, oh, I, I, I don't play the lottery. I, I don't do that. Like, I'm a good church person. I don't, I don't do that. But then you also have the other people who are like, First 10% goes right to the Lord. And it's like, you don't tithe now. Why? What makes you think you're going to tithe on $1.6 billion? <laughs> Tend to your soul today. Tend to your soul today. Or just another one that I think really clogs up our, our, our river, our, our, this flow, is, is just a general sense of busyness. Just a general sense of busyness where we're rather like that man... Ch- chopping all the wood, rather than taking the half hour to an hour a week to say, all right, here's my schedule. I'm going to put it down, and, and I'm actually going to kind of run through it. You say, no, I have so much stuff going on. I can't, I can't stop for a half an hour to plan my day. What are you kidding me? That's a half an hour that I need to use to, to do. And you're going to run yourself ragged rather than saying, here's my half an hour that I'm intentionally planning to spend time with the Lord today. Just a general busyness rather than an intentionality with your life. Pretty soon, that living water, that, that river that has been promised to us by Jesus, that Holy Spirit, is, is just a little trickle rather than this powerful deluge that he can be. So if that's option one, then option two is that you can actually expand the banks of the river. And that takes work. That, it's a lot easier to just chuck stuff in than it is to do the hard work of picking up a shovel and starting to dig. But it's worth it. You guys remember how, how nasty the Charles was like 20 years ago? It was horrifying. But over the past 20 years, they've been doing a ton of work. And now I, I just read something that it's like one of the cleanest bodies of water in, 
in maybe Massachusetts, I don't remember the exact stat, but it's, it's, a, very, it's a much cleaner, it got an A minus rating. Back in the, in the 70s, 80s, like A minus for the Charles River, that would have been a pipe dream. There's no chance that that could happen. But it took hard work to actually clean out the pollution. It, t- it took hard work to, to do the work involved to, to create something that's worthy of, of that, that's beautiful. Because it's easier to just throw stuff in than it is to actually do the work of, of cleaning it out. So one thing that you can do to, uh, to make sure that pollution doesn't get thrown in is to build some fences around the river. Build some fences around that. To make sure, to be intentional about what you allow in. Because, I mean, we're constantly inundated with propaganda one way or another. Trying to, make, to, trying to disciple us, really, into, into thinking the way that everybody wants us to think. And in a, in a capitalistic society like we do, everybody's trying to sell us something, trying to you know, make us afraid that we, that we absolutely, if I don't have that thing, then I'm not going to, you know, if I don't do this, then I'm... So we need to build up some fences. So like early on in, in my Christian life, like prior to, to me being a Christian, I had no issue at all with like consuming certain television programs and, and a lot of the stuff was really crass, really vulgar. And it was a difficult work for me initially to say, all right, I notice that when I watch this show, I become more sarcastic. I become more, you know, quick to anger. I become more judgmental. I, when I do that, it, it's not good for my soul. And so I want to make sure that I'm not, like, this is not legalism. I'm not saying that you cannot be a Christian and watch South Park. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that um, if you're not intentional with what you're allowing in, if you're not intentional about what kind of things you're putting fences around, it, it, is it good? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it true? Is it worthy of praise? These are the things that God tells us to focus our attention on. To take every thought captive. Because there's nothing neutral. There's no neutrality. It's, it's, all, it's all trying to, to get you to think one way or another. And it's either going to build up your soul or it's going to make you, make you less effective. It's going to make you more, more bitter, more inward. So just a, an important caveat, because how do we do this? It's less complicated than you think. But an important caveat, nothing that I'm about to say next is going to change the way that God feels about you. Nothing that I'm about to say next will change anything about the way that God views you. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, all of his righteousness has been transferred to you. You cannot be loved any more than you currently are. You will never be loved any less than you currently are. The Father looks upon you and sees Jesus' righteousness. No matter if, if this is the first second that you've trusted in that or you've been walking with him for 40 years, you positionally, God sees you. This is grace. You cannot earn it. It's, his love for you is steadfast. And grace is absolutely opposed to earning. Absolutely opposed to earning. Because when you, earn, when you, when you work to earn God's love, when you earn, that becomes the source of religious pride, which you look down upon somebody who isn't quite as far along as you, who, where you were two years ago, and suddenly that person, I'm not even sure if that person's a Christian. Like, No. 
Grace is absolutely opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. You see the difference? This is a relationship that we have with God, and any relationship is worth putting in the effort, worth striving for. And so how do we do that? It's simple. Like, how do you want a better, how do you, you know, you want to get a better physique? It's diet and exercise. I mean, you can do all the fads, whatever, but it comes down to what you put into your body and what you do with your body. It, it, you want a better physique, it's diet and exercise. You want to be stronger Christian? You want to be more free? It, it's scripture and prayer. It's those two things, the spiritual disciplines. Because things that are important but not urgent require discipline. If you want to write that down. Things that are important but not urgent, required discipline. So like, everybody knows you're supposed to go to the dentist. But it's not like an urgent thing until your tooth starts hurting, at which point maybe it's a little bit too late. If you had done the upkeep in the first place, your tooth wouldn't hurt. But now that you've kind of threw it off, it wasn't urgent to you until it was too late. When you're 17, you can eat, you know, McDonald's and soda all day long, and, and it's great. But then, you know, you do that continually for 20 years, and uh, you're not going to be able to have the freedom with your body that you would like to have. Consistency. And it's the same thing with the spiritual disciplines. It's Bible reading and, and meditation. Uh, Bible reading, meditation on the Word of God and, and prayer. So there's a, there's a great book that I would recommend to any one of you called The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. And as we kind of wrap this up, I want to just give you some really p- practical things that you can apply today to, to give you a little bit more freedom in your Christian life. So Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life, he starts off that book with, with a story that really hit me, probably because it was about a young boy named Kevin who was learning to play guitar. But it really stuck with me. And it's a beautiful story where he, he says this, this young boy, probably eight years old, sitting on the edge of his bed with a brand new guitar. And he's trying to strum and he's trying to learn. and He's, he's working really hard. But every time he does, he, you know, the strings, it's all kind of ugly. And I have this vivid memory of sitting on the edge of my bed with my first acoustic guitar, trying to press down on the strings, thinking like, maybe they just make the noise with the strings that you're not touching. Because it's impossible to actually get this thing down and to make a good noise. Like, that was an actual, genuine thought. Like, maybe just avoid certain strings, and that's how you get all the sounds to work on the guitar. So this kid, Kevin, sitting on the edge of his bed, struggling to learn to play guitar, suddenly transported by an angel to this massive concert hall where there's a guy up on the stage who is playing with the most freedom that he's ever seen, playing the most beautiful music on that guitar. And he's in awe. And then... Right at that moment, he's transported back to his bedroom, and the angel says, hey, you know, what'd you think? Kevin says, oh, well, that was unbelievable, but there's no way that I'd be able to do that ever. And the angel says, well, I just gave you a quick glimpse of the future. That's you 20 years from now. But you have to practice to get there. See, with the proper motivation, Kevin is going to pick that guitar up with a renewed sense of zeal, with a renewed, I'm going to go through whatever it takes in order to have that sense of freedom. And, and I, I, I often think of our own Doc Wallace, who plays viola for us, and like the amount of freedom that he has with that viola is like, that doesn't come 
by accident. That doesn't come like a savant who just gets hit on the head with a coconut and then all of a sudden they can play piano. Like, those things don't happen very often. Like, that's dedication. That's day in and day out, hours of training, hours of work, so that he can then pick that thing up and bring a tear to your eye with an instrument. And, and even now, where he's at, like he was telling me that, you know, he's not even, he's not satisfied with where he is yet, that he's still, he's not arrived, that he's, he's still getting coaching, he's still practicing and putting in the effort. Now he's free to make some of the most beautiful music I've ever heard because he's made the sacrifice, because he's put in the effort to become that free. And so... Um, Anything that's worthy, is, it requires discipline. Discipline plus time equals freedom. There's your equation right there. Discipline plus time equals freedom. If you're a Christian, I know that you have this inner thing saying, like, I want to be further along than I am right now. And that's healthy. That's that river of life, that Holy Spirit telling you, like, urging you towards more, urging you towards more. But, but it it I, I, I get this, you guys remember the Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy on Saturday Night Live from years and years ago? There were these silly little sentences that just didn't make a ton of sense. But there's one that he says, it's easy to sit there and say you'd like to have more money. And and I guess that's what I like about it. It's easy. Just sitting there, rocking back and forth, wanting that money. Like... You could see the ridiculousness in that, like, but, but how much of that sums up our spiritual life? Like, I would love to be free to share a verse of Scripture with somebody who's going through a hard time, but it's easier for me to sit here and not study my Bible. It's easier to sit here and not develop my relationship with the Lord. Because that tree planted by the streams, that tree is free in the midst of drought, in the midst of heat, in the midst of hardship, that tree is going to bear fruit. What's the purpose of bearing fruit? I've never seen an apple tree, like, proud of its apples. I don't know. Maybe they are. But, but the, the purpose of the fruit is not for the tree itself. I've never seen a tree eat its own fruit. The purpose of the fruit is to bless other people. The purpose of the fruit is to bless other people. So practicing these spiritual disciplines, this prayer and, and Bible reading... It blesses you. My goodness, does it bless you. Like, how many times have you heard just this week somebody say, oh, man, I'm so stressed out. Oh, man, I'm so anxious. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so exhausted. But how many times have you heard somebody say this week, I just have too much love in my life. Like, I'm just, I'm just you, know what, you know what my biggest downfall is? I am just too patient with my kids. <laughs> you know what? I'm just too full of joy. I don't know what to do with all this joy. Like I'm too, I have too much self-control. That's my big problem. No, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who doesn't want more of those? Well, they come by picking up your shovel, by picking up your shovel and expanding the banks of that river, by, by building and cooperating with the Holy Spirit to build your relationship with the Lord, to have that freedom. But the fruit also bears fruit in the lives of others. I, I, can, I can credit nothing more to my own spiritual growth in the past seven years to the fact that uh, almost every morning I've woken up and prayed and read my Bible. 
Um, it was like, and it's a, it's a slow growth. It's a slow process. You start opening the Bible, there's a lot of confusing stuff in there, but the more you do it, like anything, if you were to go to France and get off the airplane, you're not going to expect them to speak English to you. But if you pick up your Bible for some reason, we're like, why don't I understand this first time through? Over and over and time again, and every time I read it, I see something new. Like Pastor Clay said last week, you're you're taking a walk through the woods and all you see is roots and rocks and roots and rocks, but you turn around and you're like, wow, we've come a long way. And it's like that, like day to day, it doesn't seem like that big a difference, but, but you look back over time and you say, wow. I've come a long way. But the, that fruit, to, to bear fruit in the lives of others, like how many times have you had somebody come up to you and you're like, oh, you know what? I know that there's a verse about that, but I got nothing. Like, you don't have to be caught on your heels like that. If you put in the time, put in, put in the effort, consistency in the word, consistency in prayer, nurturing that relationship with the Lord, you'll be able to, three times this week, I'm getting ahead of myself. In terms of Bible reading and prayer, here's what I do. I'm, I, I'm taking classes right now, so it's shorter than it typically is, but it takes me about 10 minutes in the morning where I'll read a chapter of the Old Testament and some of the New Testament. And what I'm doing is, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm reminding myself of sort of the grand story of the Bible where, like, this is our story. This is, we've been grafted into this story. This is our, like, these are who we are. These are our people, that, and it's revealing to us about the God who has done all of this. So I'm, I'm reminding myself, I'm, I'm keeping sharp on the old story, but I'm also looking for something, just one thing, maybe a sentence, maybe a couple of words that I can take with me and put in my pocket literally throughout the day. I have this little moleskin journal that I put in my pocket, and I'll just put a verse on it, and it's just in me throughout the day, which allows my thought life to be a lot better because I'm continually trying to bring it back and I'm not, I'm not allowing negative thoughts to, to, to lead me away from the Lord. But just one thought, one promise of God, just one little thing that I can bring with me throughout the day. And three times this week, somebody came to me and I was talking to them and I was like, oh my goodness, that thing that I had put in my pocket is the exact verse that you need right now. And I was able to encourage them and bless them with God's truth in the midst of hardship because I took five minutes to write something down and put it in my pocket. Like that can, I know that you want that. I know you do. There's freedom in that. So this is not legalism where I'm saying, hey, Christian, smarten up. Start reading your Bible. No, this is an invitation where I'm saying, guys, this is amazing over here. Like, more and more. Don't you want to be able to bless your neighbor? Don't you want to be able to bless your brother or sister in Christ? Don't you want that? I think you do. I know for sure you do. But it takes a little bit of effort to get there. So this grace that we are saved by is is not opposed to effort. It is 100% opposed to earning. Because your Bible reading gets you, like, it's not like God is like, oh, Kevin, yep, he read his scriptures today. Like, how many times do we love to do that so we can check a box? God isn't checking boxes. God has done all the work for you already in in Jesus Christ. But I know you want that freedom. and, And great news, you can have it. You can have it. 
We all have access to scriptures. We all have access to God the Father through prayer. We can all do this. Don't wait until the trouble comes. Don't wait until your tooth hurts. Regular maintaining. So if you're here and, and you've not actually yet taken that step of faith in, in trusting Jesus, I know, I know it can be, I, I remember sitting in a church where I, I had not yet taken that, that step of faith to, to trusting in Jesus. And I remember thinking like, maybe someday, but definitely not today. Um, let me just say why. Why not? It can be scary. Yeah, I get that. It can, be, it can, it can hurt a little bit to your pride. Or, just, but why are you holding on to something when you can have everything? The freedom that comes through Jesus. The freedom from striving to impress God. The freedom from hoping. Like, I don't, I'm not 100% sure if there is a God, but if, if there is, I'm sure he'll be cool with me when we die. Like, when I, when I die. Like, you can know for sure that God loves you. That God is for you. That God is with you in all things. That his love never wavers no matter what you do. God is for you. And he will gift you with streams of living water flowing from your heart that can sustain you in the midst of whatever trial comes. Come to Jesus this morning. Those of you guys who have already placed faith, know that comfort that Jesus is with you. That Jesus is for you. That he has placed within you streams of living water. Do you feel them? When was the last time when was the last time that you enjoyed them? You have that opportunity new every single day. Let's all just be amazed at God's goodness. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful to you for who you are. Our Father, tremendously holy outrageously righteous, unfathomably just, beyond comparison in all things, in need of nothing. This is who you are. And Father, we fall so short of that every day. But you look upon us and, and rather than judge us. You've chosen to bless us in Jesus Christ. Rather than pushing us away, you've chosen through Christ to bring us near. And God, as we hear his words this morning, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Lord, would you, by the power of that Holy Spirit that you have filled us with, would you draw us near would you draw us back to Jesus again and again? As we just sang, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God, make us more and more like Jesus so we can bear fruit in and out of season, so that we can have this more vibrant relationship with you and so that we can bless our brothers and sisters, that we can bless our neighbors, so that we have that excess to give, 
so that we can sacrificially love those around us under our chief shepherd's example, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.